this is Gray Man Media Content. Alrighty, so I just want to go ahead and preface it that the beginning of this episode is going to be a little different than my normal audio quality because we have restarted recording more remotely here in my studio, my own studio. So I do apologize for the difference in audio quality from our normal production quality that is recorded with Devin Gray. I still think this is a phenomenal episode, guys. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, So please enjoy. Here we go. Okay, welcome to another episode of Wolf Takes a Bite Podcast. I'm your host, John Wolf, and today I have a very special, special guest. Um, I'm here with one of my oldest, longest time friends. Um, very excited to have him on the show because he is literally the epitome of spiritualness. Yeah, because I don't understand words like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not <a> computer literate. <laughs> Exactly. So, um, alright, this is Wolf Takes a Bite, and let's take a bite. I climbed into the hills. I, I would, I'm romantic. I would like Bigfoot to exist. FBI, open up! One type is about three feet tall, very dark, not humanoid at all, yet lizard looking. The creatures that I have seen mostly have been the. Uh, to the search for truth, little grey men, little grey men from outer space who actually abduct humans. We are live now. Uh, welcome, Vinny, to the podcast. Yeah. yeah. How are you doing today? I moved a bunch of wood. Moved a bunch of wood? Yeah. And <laughs> I drive through the snow like a beast because I have a 4 by 4 I mean, I'm very jealous of your Jeep. I'm not going to lie. My Toyota should be four-wheel drive, but unfortunately it is not. Yeah, well, 4 by <laughs> 4 by four and 8 cylinders really gets you through here. <laughs> I don't know. This this year's just been weird as far as, like, the winter. What, the past month and a half? The past week? Yeah, that's about, you're talking about almost half the year. Yeah, yeah, well, I wouldn't go that far as a whole half of a year, but at least for what we've experienced, yes. Yeah, but it's pretty much half the current year. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. So, the reason I wanted you on here today is because I know how inclined you are to the paranormal. And I myself think I am as well to a degree, but honestly, I can't get, I don't think I can even touch anywhere near the amount of uh, spiritual experiences that you've had. Okay, so it's like, yeah, so I've, I've been to all 50 states in the U.S., and I seek out weird places. But in particular today, we'll talk about one of the most haunted places in the U.S. That's New Orleans. Ooh. And... As opposed to most stories that exist, uh, we're talking about like, you know, we always have, uh, like this urban legend, this ghost story, this thing that's happened. But this story, uh, is based off of something that happened personally to me and an even older friend of mine who's from Ireland. Ooh. And the experience that we had is based off of 
a mild encounter with the paranormal that only occurred because of the death of someone from maybe a month beforehand. So that means there is no story or urban legend. This is like a brand new haunted site that never existed that we experienced except for within the first month that this death had occurred and a haunting could happen. And that, first of all, New Orleans is a whole, like, it's a whole realm on its own as far as the spiritual plane goes. Like, the most craziest stories have originated from New Orleans. Well, New Orleans just seems to trap weird energy. It, it, it seems to. And do you, do you have any, like, ideas or reasons why? Well, uh, well, the thing is, uh, the biggest thing that anybody who doesn't know is that, like, all the dead in that part of the South are, are buried above ground. Nobody's actually buried six feet under. What, really? No, but all, all the cemeteries or everybody is buried above ground because it's swampland, so you can't bury anybody in the ground. <clears throat> oh, okay. So... <clears throat> Everybody at there, like a lot of times, it's just uh, big stone square areas, and then they put the coffin in there, and they fill it with dirt, and they put a stone slab on top of it. Okay. But nobody's actually buried in the ground. And then the history of New Orleans comes a lot from, like, with you have the, the combination of, like, French and slaves and everybody that came through there. There's a whole lot of a lot of people tend to think voodoo, but it's not voodoo that exists as much as hoodoo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the hoodoo I'm more well-versed on, I would yeah. say, versus voodoo. Yeah, and hoodoo is what's prominent in New Orleans, not voodoo as much as people say. There's not a bunch of people with dolls sticking pins into them and stuff like that. It's that's more, just the movies. Yeah. yeah. It's more like the idea is that like when you're cursed or someone puts something on you, the thing is, is that if you take it to heart and believe it, it becomes true. So hmm. you, yourself, and hoodoo, you become the reason behind your own curse. If you believe enough in bad luck, it's coming your way, and then the bad luck happens, well... That's how hoodoo works. You just put that curse on someone enough for you to make it yourself real. So it's more like your own karma affects you. Yeah, okay. So it's a lot more like, uh, so like you said, karma too, but also it's like a lot of the other things underneath the pagan umbrella more than it is uh, actual, like, because voodoo in itself, it, it, it's like one of those very weird forms of witchcraft where it's like, very energy based, sacrifice based. Yeah. It's very, it's it's very more. I guess some people would say dark, but it holds like the the dark and the light. In yeah, they kind of they kind of cross voodoo and hoodoo a bunch in New Orleans. Like, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> it's it's more hoodoo than it is voodoo, and but nobody knows much about hoodoo. So in the movies, we're all totally spooked. right. Now, I haven't personally been to New Orleans, but it's definitely one of those places I really, really want to go to. So, I've, I've, I've been there multiple times. Uh, New Orleans, if, uh, if there was any other city I would choose to live in beside living here, it would be New Orleans. And oddly enough, New Orleans is sister city to Louisville. Uh, really? It is a sister city, because there's only three French cities, main French cities, in America. And that's St. Louis, Louisville, 
in New Orleans. <clears throat> so I never knew that. That's cool as shit. There's something a lot of people don't realize that when people relocated during Hurricane Katrina and lost their homes, a lot of people went to St. Louis, but there's a lot of people that uh, came to Louisville that were also from New Orleans. And that's because St. Louis and Louisville helped house and carry out relocations for people during Hurricane Katrina because of the fact that we are one of their sister cities, so we pitched in to help with housing and helping people relocate and move. One of the most commonplace hauntings in America. It seems like things get trapped there frequently. There are numerous houses, uh, lots of people practicing uh, other than natural... uh, arts and stuff like that and there's tons of people all over the city that believe in things that we don't normally believe in here and so uh, New Orleans seems to be kind of a crossroads actually something I've never looked up up until now and I'm wondering about it is uh I'm kind of curious as to, as far as, like, ley lines, the spiritual energies that cross the earth. Right, yeah. Now, ley lines is an episode I really do want to cover, so you know a lot about those? I don't know a lot about them, so that's what I'm wondering, is if there's a possibility that maybe a lot of ley lines either cross at a certain section near New Orleans, or if maybe they surround it. Okay. Because uh, I know, like, in the Bermuda Triangle, for instance, if I remember correctly, which I'm not 100% sure, I think that, like, it's like the ley lines tend to cross outside of the Bermuda Triangle. So it's like there's weird energy in the Bermuda Triangle, but it's not because ley lines cross in there, it's because they cross around it. But I can't remember that correct or not, so I may be wrong. But... I'm kind of curious now. It's like, I wonder if <clears throat> New Orleans might have an interesting set of ley lines that cross across it. But that might be something interesting to look into. It's like spiritual energy that traverses certain areas of the world and weirdness that happens there overimposed with ley lines and like where they cross. Right. Um, do you know about um, Harp? Have you ever heard of Harp? Yeah. Yeah, my brother was in the military, and he got offered a job to work for Harp. Really? Yeah, just working, like, basic soldier stuff, nothing on the upper-level stuff. Okay, I was, I was going to say, is there anything that you could say that wouldn't be confidential? Uh, the only thing that I understand about Harp between uh, friends in the military, which also have uh, a friend who does top-secret uh, designs, the military um he is uh an engineer and he works on our missile defense systems everything from trying to figure out lasers that can shoot nukes out of the sky to designing the rail guns that we now know exist on our navy battleships that a lot of people didn't know up until like five years ago like that uh these types of weapons have existed but weren't used so as far as understanding 
that my brother was given about working for Harp is it seems that there's a lot of power directed towards Harp uh, as far as like actual electrical power in the area for the nation and stuff. <clears throat> so whatever exists there, uh, not making any speculations, but the fact that whatever does exist there obviously requires a lot of electrical power to make it work, which the stories go everything from weather control to alien stuff or anything like that, but <clears throat> the only thing that I know is that there is a lot of electrical power that gets diverted to harp for whatever they're using it for, which Stands the reason that there's either something to do with controlling weather patterns and stuff like that make more sense. Like, because <clears throat> scientifically shooting electric electrons up into the air can alter the air's atmosphere and how they affect. Or if you shoot them down on the ground, you can cause earthquakes on the inside of the world, but that's all theoretical as far as we know. So. Right. <clears throat> so that's, that's where heart. And I know this is way off topic, really, uh, of what I normally do with our guest episodes. But, I mean, with you, I mean, you have a lot more knowledge than a lot of people that I interview. And a lot, of, even myself, I would say, uh, on a lot of these topics. And it's really interesting to kind of look at, like, the whole technical side of things when it comes to this. Because heart to me, has been one of the most fascinating things that I've learned about in the past 10 years. And only because of the fact that not only could that actually be used for weather manipulation, but also mind and emotional manipulation. Well, that's the thing, is that the residents that live outside of the area that HARP is located in, uh, those people that live in those areas surrounding it have... Uh, recorded like like strange dreams and different things like that like weird experiences like time loss memories and all sorts of stuff along those lines so whatever it is that they're using a high electrical output for is obviously affecting the area in and around the electrons in the air and the way it affects your brain yeah because there's no reason that they're I mean, for instance, the nearest town to Harp has a FBI like home base there. There's like a we're talking about Virginia. Uh, uh, I mean, do, I mean, no, I'm FBI talking about Harp. I'm talking about Virginia. Harp. No, I'm talking about Harp in Alaska. Oh, you're okay. You're talking about they also have a satellite location for FBI. Yeah, they. they well, yeah. every every major city has an FBI location, but why does? A place like the middle of Alaska need an FBI headquarters. If there wasn't something weird going on at the military station, that's stationed right beside the city that it's in. I mean, we're talking about, like, this place has a population of a couple thousand people. You know, so it's like, this tiny little place has FBI headquarters, and, like, the FBI frequently visits there and asks people questions about experiences that they have in town. <laughs> of so it's course. Like, How are you feeling today? Um, so yeah. what, so what in Alaska? 
Well, I don't know, you know. I saw a moose the other day, but then the moose just evaporated in the air. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, the thing is that, that, that harp, harp is obviously... Harp is obviously doing something that affects things on a higher level because, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, we know more secrets about Area 51 than we do about Harp. <clears throat> so, Harp is almost like the new Area 51 at the end of the day. Like, more people, we, I mean, we know to this day that things like you know, the, the stealth bomber and the high-flying SR-72, the, the Blackbird, like the high-flying stealth ship and all that sort of stuff was all developed at Area 51. We know that they're testing and using, like, super advanced technology that's, like, 20 years beyond us at Area 51. And we get to know that about Area 51, but... Still to this day, nobody knows anything about Harp. Yeah, but also I, I would say at this time, Area Fifty One probably, to in my opinion, is a like pretty solid cover. Like everybody's like, oh well, aliens are from Area Fifty One. That's what the government wants us to think. They've already offsided every fucking operation that could possibly be. Yeah, they're not. Done. They're not. Everybody's like Area Fifty One is. Probably more for America at this point. Uh, Area Fifty One is probably a distraction center. Oh whatever, yeah, whatever is really going on, like they're not going to do it at Area Fifty One anymore. Why is Everyone's, it fuck nowhere? The reason that Harp can stay so secretive is for the fact it's up in Alaska. Like nobody's there. But you know, no, see, now that's another thing I've heard that Harp has been actually launched in places like huge metropolitan cities like Seattle, uh, Utah. Wyoming, well, and yeah, even be, New York. Yeah, well, because they also, uh, it's known that when Air, whenever Harp is doing something, that they draw power off of the entire western seaboard. Like, so it's like, you know, like, there's three main substations that control all the power. You got, like, the eastern seaboard, middle of the U.S., and the western seaboard. And whenever harp functions, they apparently draw a ton of electrical power off of the western seaboard. So whatever they're doing is crazy stuff, you know. And it's like it—it's probably not as weird and alien as we think. Like I mean, because we have places like CERN in Switzerland. Where, oh yeah, I love CERN. Yeah, where we're like. Their study with dark matter has actually brought up a lot of stuff in the past couple of years. But here's the thing, is that with the amount of power drainage that comes off the western seaboard, there's a good possibility that, like, Harp might already have built a particle collider under the ground. Like, where's the safest place to build something that dangerous? Somewhere cold, for sure. It, you, you get the cold weather, you get it far away from population. North can, Pole? You can attach to the uh, huge power, like power output, like so. More than likely, Harp is probably working with materials, and most likely, probably, it's not probably anything alien or weird. But they probably have a bunch of scientists there working covertly and underground dealing with things. Most likely, to try to figure out things like. 
if CERN wants CERN, their job is to discover dark matter. They want to find the God particle and the Higgins particle, and they want to figure out where that line crosses between real matter and dark matter, and they want to find that. Right, so they have, uh, for instance, uh, the biggest camera in the world, I think, is at CERN, and it's three stories tall, and it's a camera that's basically can take a picture of like a fraction of a second exposure of time of something that happens in less than a millisecond, and they have, the, and it's this, like three story tall. And it's just a camera. It's just for taking a picture of when two particles hit each other. Yeah. So, and that's just the camera, right? And, like, the amount of power output that it takes to do that is just absolutely ridiculous. So, it's like, if you could imagine whatever Harp's doing in secret... It's got to be ten times larger. Yeah, so it's like, Harp has probably been working on things that are, like, the next level generation of weapons, most likely. Things that, you know, you know, atomic bombs that fit in a backpack. Uh, but it's not an atomic bomb. It's an antimatter bomb or something. Like, or, yeah. you know, it's something that, how do we devise things? Like, even it's crazy. I would say the craziest thing they're probably trying to figure out is things like teleportation. How do you cut a hole in time and space to where you can transport one thing from here to one thing to the other? To be quite honest, because on the battlefield for the military, if you could ultimately just teleport something right into the field, that would lead you on the war front out of anything. Because anytime you run out of ammunition or you're in the middle of a battle, if you could just automatically put something there instead of having to wait hours for it to get there, that can devise, like, the winning and losing side of the battle. And, or, something like uh, mining minerals from the moon or anything like that. If you could harness the ability to do these things, like, effectively with high-energy output, you know, it's basically anything energy-wise. Like, if you can harness anything energy-wise, then you can turn it around and use it for not just idea war and battle, but you could also turn it around and, like, use it for sustaining yourself as a superpower yeah. on the planet. But this has nothing to do with anything that we were talking about discussing. No, it's definitely way off topic. And you know what? I would love to actually... I, I want to do a whole episode on harp in general and matter manipulation science that is actually, I think, the government's been doing for because I'm a long here, time. I'm here to tell a story about uh, a brand new paranormal experience. Yeah, so let's let's get into that. Let, let's, let's take a bite out of New Orleans, the first right, ever let's told get, let's experience. Get off, let's get off government conspiracy, because yeah. I can get on that for days. Oh, and you know, don't don't quote me on this, but absolutely quote me on this. I will have you back for government conspiracy yeah. episodes. <laughs> I lived in the mountains too long with people, and I know too many people. <laughs> I know, man, and, and this is why it's so good to actually have you on here, because like, your wealth of knowledge and experience on all this stuff is, is far beyond what most people Alright, so let's let's like cut the whole harp section out and like let's go back. Oh, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> but you can leave but it we in, can move but on. 
But the thing is that, alright, so, uh, most of what we know and the New Orleans experience and all this sort of stuff, like, we all know the houses that are haunted, the, the tourist things that you can see, everything that you can look up online. Right, right. But this experience is, I feel, extremely unique because of the fact that this experience is from something fresh. So, it all it all began with the fact that, alright, so me and uh, uh, me and my buddy Dean uh, who moved, he came here from Cork, Ireland and Beautiful city, by the way. Cork? Yeah. You been there? I have a friend that used to live there. Okay, so you ain't been there, so you don't know. Well, I mean, I know what he's shown me on FaceTime, but okay. Alright, so my buddy, <laughs> my buddy Dean, who's from Cork, tells me it's like the boonies. It's like the boonies of Ireland. It's like the middle of fucking nowhere. It's still beautiful. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's also, uh, it's also like, Oddly enough, that's where most of the cork that we put in our wine bottles and whiskey bottles comes from. That's where... I've heard that, yes. That's why it's called cork. It's because it's named after the cork trees that grow there. And uh, a few years ago, he told me the fact that, like, actually, like, because of the amount of alcohol consumption and overpopulation in the world, that uh, that's the reason that they started using a lot of synthetic corks is because the time that it takes for the tree to mature and mm-hmm. harvest it and stuff like that. Apparently, like, cork was on a shortage, and that's why we saw so many synthetic cork bottles or screw tops mm-hmm. like, uh, versus cork bottles over the years. But anyways, so uh, uh, Dean and I, uh, we, uh, we were in a band, Broken Carousel Orchestra, and uh, which, uh, the only place you can still find it is on, uh, was that Bandcamp? Is that the website? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Broken Carousel Orchestra, but we don't spell it correctly. It's like broken, and then uh, care, uh, we misspelt it some way on purpose. I can't remember which part, because now I just spell it that way all the time. And every time I do, my phone autocorrects me. <laughs> Tells me that it's like, oh, that's not the right way. And I'm like, oh, I Oh yeah, I forget orchestra. Anyways, uh, so we were in this. Uh, we started this uh, gypsy punk band. It's right about the time that Go Go Bordella uh, was becoming a new and popular thing, which pissed us off royally because of the fact that we started traveling the country and we're like, like we have an accordion and a guitar and. Like mandolin, we sing songs about circuses and death, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Gorgo Bordello shows up, and it's like, well, fuck, why don't we get signed? But apparently, <laughs> apparently our music wasn't enough. Anyways, do you have that music available anywhere? Yeah, it's on it's on Bandcamp, uh, Broken Carousel Orchestra. But uh, uh, so it's like broken spelt normally. And uh, carousel and then orchestra has a K in it, so so, so it's an O R K orchestra. Okay, I know it's on MySpace and Bandcamp, but uh, the whole album is free on Band on uh, Bandcamp. Awesome, you can look it up. 
It's like, if you look it up, you'll know because it'll be a big green background with a big skull with roses, fur, beard, and a top hat. So if you see that, you know you found the right thing. That sounds on, like you in spring. On band camp. <laughs> yeah, I drew, I drew the picture for it. So it's like, yeah, it's, uh, and that's, that's how you know. It's called, uh, Carnival of Lust is the album name. That's sick. There's 14 tracks on there, and everything's original on it. So anyways, we were, uh, we traveled across the whole country, and just playing wherever, whenever. But we went down to New Orleans, and, uh, we were supposed to be there for three days, and we decided to stay there for three weeks, because that's just how New Orleans affects you when you're allowed to just travel and just do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, so we get down there. Uh, I find a buddy of mine that lives in the ninth ward. Uh, he has a house and a, and a place for us to stay. So me and my dog Shady and uh, uh, my band members, we're sitting there and uh, we just it was the year after Hurricane Katrina. So we're sitting there and. When we first get down there, uh, so the experience getting down there is a story to tell itself. So on the way down there, what happened that year, the year after Hurricane Katrina, was a giant ice storm in Louisville. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Everything froze over left and right. And we went to go stay at our buddy's house, and we called him Jew Corey. Yep. Uh, And we made fun of him because of the fact that he was... Super Jewish, and we always believed that he had a hoard of gold <laughs> somewhere. Uh, and that was just because, like, like he had his own, like, he didn't work a job, but he had a condo and a f- fancy car and all this sort of stuff. And we're like, we're staying at his house during the ice storm. And then, like, well, we're trying to get to New Orleans where it's warm and we can play music. So... Me and my buddy Dean, we, we convince a friend of ours and uh, his girlfriend, who has a little, sh- uh, like, Chevy S10, like, goofy little truck. But we're like, all right, there's four of us, and it's two-seater. So we get in the back of the cab of this, back of his truck. We take a tarp. We put it over the back with all the junk and spare tires and crap in the back of the truck. And then we're like, all right. Like seventeen hour drive to New Orleans, we're gonna make this. So that's it. There, I spend the last money I have on hand warmers, and we get in our like zero degree sleeping bags. We put them in the back of the truck. Me and my buddy Dean, and then we get a bottle of whiskey and a thirty pack of PBR. We just put that in there, and then we just put a bunch of junk over top just to keep the tarp down. <laughs> And we get on the expressway, and I was like, look, stop once every hour and a half to make sure we're not frozen to death, right? And we get on the expressway, and we start driving to New Orleans. I'm like, I got enough money, I'll pay for all the gas to get there as long as you drive to New Orleans. So, me and my buddy Dean are in sleeping bags <sighs> with a bottle of whiskey and a 30-pack of beer, and we're just in the back of this truck, and it's like, put hand warmers in our gloves, we just <laughs> trade the bottle back and forth, like, 
across this. They stop once every hour and a half to like refill the truck with gas and then like make sure that we're not dead. And then we just keep going. It's like, like, just keep driving. Just keep going. If you're awake, keep going. And, uh, uh, we bought her a gram of cocaine and two Adderalls. <laughs> and we're like, it's a 17 hour drive. Like, we're going to give you these drugs and we want to get there in 17 hours. We're going to pay for the gas and here's drugs. <laughs> and so we rode in the back of this truck on the expressway for a whole day. Just like tucked in? What? Just like tucked in, like in sleeping bags <laughs> with our jackets on, our backpacks, and like just in the back of this truck. Just like we're going to drink whiskey, we get hand warmers, and we're going to sit there and like we're going to make it. What time of year was this? Uh, it was, it was, it was uh, Mardi Gras. Oh, okay, so, so it's still my, a little my, chilly. My, well, here's the thing: is that most people think Mardi Gras is one day a year, which Mardi Gras is one day a year. But Lindy Gras, <laughs> Lindy Gras is the actual party that happens in New Orleans. It's like Lindy, a week long, right? Lindy Gras is the day before, but Mardi Gras, the whole celebration, is actually like three weeks. Three weeks? I see. I only thought it was a week. It's like the entire month. Wow. Of February. Mardi Gras is not like an, it in New Orleans. Everything on midnight before midnight shuts down, except for Bourbon Street. Will shut down on Mardi Gras night because everyone goes to Catholic Mass. Yeah, yeah. At midnight, of course. But Lindy Gras is the night before Mardi Gras. That's like your last day. You party until 6 a.m. <laughs> now, we went down a couple weeks before that because the actual celebration and all the parades begin a few weeks before actual Mardi Gras Day. There are parades every other day. There's jazz funerals and everything where we we were in a jazz funeral. Like, so a jazz musician, when he dies, they start in the middle of the French Quarter and they cart him to Cemetery One, which is the main cemetery in New Orleans, which any movie you've ever seen of a cemetery in New Orleans is going to be in Cemetery One. And that's where everybody's buried above ground. That's a big, crazy cemetery. And any movie you've ever seen, that's filmed there. But, uh, so we, we go down there because we're like, we're going to go down there. We're going to play music. We're going to make money. We're going to do whatever. Uh, so we get down there. I get a hold of my friend. He lives in the Ninth Ward. Ninth Ward is beside the French Quarter, but it's uh, intersected by a set of railroad tracks. So this is where the paranormal experience comes in. So every day, uh, uh, when we first got there, we found an abandoned high school gymnasium that still had a bunch of canned goods left in it from Hurricane Katrina. So we felt like we hit the jackpot because we found the gymnasium and like we sat there and like we're going to squat this and then we're going to sit there and we're going to eat all this canned food for free and then we're going to go to my buddy's place in the ninth ward and we're going to stay there. So we sit there and we're in the ninth ward and we're staying at this place like me, my dog, and a few of my friends and like 
I gave him uh, every all the money I had left just to be like, here, let me stay here for a month. Here's all the money I got. And I'm like, I'll pay this much of your rent. And then, so every single day, what we had to do is like, we would take our instruments and we go to the French Quarter and we'd sit there and we'd find a place, play music, make money, make tips, and then that would be our money for the day. I mean, we ended up, it works out well. Like, if you're a good musician, you can rock it, you can attract the crowd. I mean, we made about 200, 200 to 400 a day uh, for a few hours of playing music. But you gotta pick the right song. You, you, not everybody does that. You gotta pick the right songs, you gotta play the crowd. You can't just sit there and be like, ooh, I know how to play an instrument. I'm gonna sit on the corner and play music. Like, you can't do that. Like, nobody gives shit. Everybody does that. You gotta bring them in. Anyway, so we went there and we had this path that we always walked, right? Uh-huh. So we'd go from the ninth board to the French Quarter. And we went by this uh, old factory place, and we'd cross over these railroad tracks, and we'd go there, and uh, there's a whole other story that goes with this, like, weird experience that we had, and uh, a song that we wrote and everything, that, but anyways, there was one night we were coming back from the French Quarter, we were going back to the house, it was just Dean and I, <clears throat> and the two of us... We get over the railroad tracks, right? There's a big bright street light shining down on the road. And we're walking over. We're not even wasted. This is what made it even more messed up. Is the fact that we were sober. Which is a difficult task. (laughs) To be. To be sober. When you're in New Orleans. During Mardi Gras season. I mean, obviously, right? (laughs) We were still sober. Because we ate food. We went to this place called the Quartermaster. Best food ever. Anyways, so we get over the railroad tracks. And I see a a shadow Mm -hmm. that goes across the ground underneath us. Like, right? And then all of a sudden, like, we're talking about, like, it's hot. Like, all of a sudden, like, the air goes cold. You can see your breath. And we're underneath the streetlight. And so we see a shadow go across the ground. And understand the streetlight. Well, not we. I did. I see a shadow. I freak out. Like it gets really cold. All of a sudden temperature drops. And we're talking about it's like muggy. Like weather. And I was like I just stop in my tracks. Because I'm so freaked out. And then I look over at Dean. Dean stopped, too. He was just sitting there stopping. He's just like, looks at me and goes, did you see that? And I went, oh, shit. Like, I thought I was fucking losing my (laughs) shit. Did I smoke hash? Like, no. Yeah, I just saw that, too. I just saw the weird-ass shadow, too, underneath the streetlight. And, yeah, the temperature just dropped. And it freaked us out. and And it creeped us. And, like, we were so nervous to even move. Like, we were freaked out, we were nervous, we were frightened. Like, we had explored multiple haunted places, but we were frightened at that moment. That moment, like, we felt scared. And because of this, like, experience that we had there, it's like, 
the, the shadows that kept moving and there was no birds, no bats, nothing moving above us. And on top of that, like the temperature dropped, like, you know, we're in shorts and shirts and it's muggy and hot. And all of a sudden the temperature dropped just in that one location. And we were so creeped out. And like, we rushed out of there. We like, we like, we got to get away from this place. Like, where were you? Uh, this was, it was, uh, we, well, we crossed Esplanade near, uh, near the river, right beside a set of abandoned factories right before you get to the Ninth Ward. I can't remember the exact name of the street, but. Yeah, yeah, okay. If anybody lives in New Orleans, they'll probably know the place that we're talking about. Um, so it's like, I crossed that area, and then, like, we get back to the house, and like, we were so shaken up and chilled by it that we were completely freaked out the whole night and we had to talk about it and discuss it and the more we talked about it the more friends that showed up at the house at night board and kept talking about it we found out that apparently at that set of railroad tracks that we crossed is apparently like within a month earlier is that a hobo who's like been known and loved and everybody knew him in that area he tried to like, uh, jump on a train that was moving, which is calling catching on the fly. Which, you don't really ever want to catch a train on the fly. It's a bad idea. Because that's, you know, when you train hop, you sneak onto the train. You do not jump on the train while it's moving. Not like the movies show you. Hobos don't jump on moving trains. You sneak on the train, and you wait until it starts moving. That's a complete facade that American movies show you. Well, anyways... Trains are dangerous. They will kill you. Yeah. (laughs) So, apparently, this hobo, like, fell and tripped, and he died. And he died right at that location. Wow. And, like, no, there was never any haunted experiences from that. But that, apparently, a month before, like, we talked to a few other people. People started, like feeling shit and everybody started taking a different route like we were new we were only there for like a week at this point so we kept crossing the tracks but all the other traveler kids and music players and people in ninth ward they all started not crossing tracks at that spot because everybody felt weird but we saw a weird shadow when there was nothing to cast a shadow the temperature dropped a good 10 to 15 degrees instantly in open air whenever there we're talking about it's hot and muggy like you're sweating mm-hmm. your balls off wishing that <clears throat> you had a spray of water so we had this weird like we could feel the presence and experience the presence of something that was there and was just trapped there and just within that month of time, like somebody died and was killed right in that area. We experienced a complete new and paranormal experience. And <clears throat> there's not enough time to create an urban legend about it or a myth about the area. It's just like, but I guarantee 10 years from now, there's probably going to be a myth about crossing that part of the tracks. There'll be bad luck to cross that part of the tracks. There won't be this or that. Like, there's gonna be something because the ghost of that hobo because he was an old fella and, like, everybody knew him in the area. That's gonna become an urban legend for that area. And
man. Dude, that would be so cool. And the fact that you were there for, like, the very beginning, the crust of the very first encounter, and not only you, but all of you listening now are privy to that. So, like, if this really does turn into, like, an urban legend in New Orleans, that would be the fucking coolest shit, because now we are the first people to hear about it, and it's going to get spread and spread and spread. I mean... But all the, all the people that I was down there with, all the people I was around. That's what I was going to say. There were so many just, other witnesses. It's just, not just like it was you. It was for the, a lot of witnesses. The few weeks <laughs> before him, before when the guy died, like, uh, the people in the area knew the guy, and they they wouldn't cross that section of tracks anymore because they felt it was unsafe. They felt it was unprotected. So that just means that, like, they were developing that myth in the beginning, and this is only, like, Katrina was only so many years ago. Yeah. And I guarantee if I went down to New Orleans right now, I guarantee no travelers. At least, like, it might not be something that's, like, the public wouldn't feel like they couldn't cross, but at least to all of us traveling people and people that just go and travel the world, it is a myth that you do not cross that part of the tracks because it's bad luck and like it's a it's a belief that i know that other people share you do not cross that section of tracks in new orleans because it's bad luck if you're a traveler if you're a hitchhiker if you're a hobo you don't cross those tracks if you're on one side of them you go to the street above you cross the tracks of a different section you don't cross them there and i know that for a fact from friends of mine who went there after me. So at least currently for travelers and and hobos and traveling kids and everybody, that's a myth that is current in that culture. Which I mean that culture it's like that's where those stories start. It starts in that culture and then it traverses over to the whole longevity of the city. Like and eventually I guarantee you in like 20 years from now, it's going to be considered bad luck to cross that section of tracks. That's so cool, dude. <laughs> and that's that's where like an urban legend starts. But I mean, there's a reason behind it. Like, we were there in the first month that it happened. And we had an experience. And there's a reason we had that experience. And there's like the soul of that 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 guy, that hobo, like, I didn't know him personally, but he was so well known, like, everybody knew that he died on those tracks. Everybody who travels. Everybody wow. in the Ninth Ward. Everybody knew. And if everybody knows, that's the beginning of that event. And we, you know, it's like, other than this podcast, nobody might know where that came from. So y'all hear it now. Pay your homages and respect. If you live in New Orleans and you're listening to this podcast, pay your homages and respect to the hobo who died on those tracks there because, I mean, he could protect you one day and you not even know it. Because I definitely believe spirits protect people all the time. You know, the, you get those little yeah. warnings, those little tingles, those little feelings, or even major yeah, ones. The street light was right outside of the tracks. He might, like, he might be sitting there as a spirit to, like, warn you to pay attention before walking drunk across those train tracks. Right, absolutely. Now, would you say, though, our tracks are old? Like, do you think they're iron tracks? No, this is... Newer tracks? Well, I mean, they're 
It's all, I mean, they're all. Because I've heard, I've, there's a lot of myths and legends, of, especially when it comes to spirits, that talk about, like, I mean, just ghosts tracks. and iron. This they is, can't cross this those is, barriers. This is not a pair of tracks that, like, I mean, those those tracks are like, been there for years, and they may have been replaced, but but the experience we had was right outside of the tracks, under the streetlight, in between the Ninth Ward and uh, the southern part, closer to the river, in between the Ninth Ward and the French Ward. And uh, it's like, you, you go past Esplanade, uh, and then you get to the tracks, and you're crossing over, and you're going into the Ninth Ward. It's near the southern part. I can't remember the name of the street exactly, but... Yeah, it's just like somebody died there. He's probably warning you, like, because there's an abandoned factory right beside it. It's right on the edge of the river. And, uh, he probably camped there. He probably saw the train. He probably tried to hop on. He probably died. He was probably sitting there. He's like, he wants to scare the shit out of you before you get near the tracks. Maybe because of the ghost in nature. Maybe the fact he can't cross the tracks. But he wants to warn you because it only happened on one side of the tracks. We didn't feel that way on the other side. Hmm. Because we would get up near the tracks, we would see where we were going to cross after that, and we'd walk two blocks up to cross the tracks at another location because we would not, we never crossed the tracks at the same spot again after that day. We could not. Like, it was creepy, and we were too. And we come from, like, he comes from Cork, and, like, I come from my past, and, like, we're old souls, and we're sitting there, and, like, we're walking around New Orleans, all these haunted places, but this particular thing scared the crap out of us so much that we would not cross those tracks again, and it frightened us to not cross the tracks. Wow. At that spot, we would not cross the train tracks there ever again and we spent the next three weeks that we were down there every time it was the quickest way to get back home and we would take the longer way every single time because we would not cross tracks at that spot wow now we only have just a few more minutes left uh for this episode because i write about hour-long episodes but would I, i have a few questions first one would be would you think this is the most intense or scary paranormal experience you've ever had? I would say it's probably about the third most intense paranormal experience I had. Okay. Uh, my top rated paranormal experience is the Devil's Circle. Which or I absolutely... The devil's, the devil's Tramping Ground. Yes, Tramping Ground. That's the correct term. I couldn't remember that when I spoke on it on our very first episode. Uh, when I when I t- tried to tell the story on the chupacabra, uh, the d- the devil's tramping ground is my top most frightening paranormal experience. Uh, uh, and and would you be willing to record that with me? Today? Yeah, I'd be willing to record okay. it. That would be awesome. Second, we'll do a second episode tonight. But uh, my second most intense paranormal experience would be experiences that I had at Waverly Hills. But this is not Waverly Hills as we know today. Waverly Hills in the 1990s. Mm. When I was a teenager, uh, 
and the 90s and the experiences that I had exploring Waverly Hills before they turned it into like where you could tour it or anything. Now I have a uh, my per, my co-host and my producer actually had an in- interesting experience at Waverly Hills as well. Uh, I was, so I would definitely love to get your story on that as well. So yeah, I definitely want to have that in the, uh, in the next episode because I'm, I'm fascinated with Waverly, but it's not even the most haunted place in the state of Kentucky. Well, it's at this point, it's a dead cell. Too many people go there. It, it's all screwed up. Like if you're talking about like personal spiritual energy that affects the place, well, the thing is that. It's just been polluted. Yeah. It's like, just so, too much energy mixing with other energy. It used to be the most haunted place in America. Well, there's a central vortex that was created yeah, there. Yeah, and it used to be. But the thing is, is that they took the most haunted place in America and they... Monetized turned, it. <laughs> they turned it into a theme park type of deal. And then now everybody's like struggles to have an experience there. But I'm like the thing is that the atmosphere was polluted. Yeah. If you didn't pollute the atmosphere, like because when I went there, like the first time I went to Waverly Hills 1996 and I tell you what it was frightening as crap. So if and then, but I tell you what, I would go to Waverly Hills right now, and oh, I yeah. probably would not be scared. I'm not either. And we only, we're only be. five minutes, ten minutes away. If I could take this audio equipment and take us there right now, I would totally do it. I would probably be frightened. If it was 1998, I would be scaredish crap to go to Waverly Hills. <laughs> you can cuss on here. And I'm only worried, like, the worst thing I would worry about would be sneaking into Waverly right now would be the police or security. Like, that would be the worst thing that could happen to me there. Yeah, I wouldn't even be worried. Yeah, the police and security would be my biggest fear, not ghosts. <laughs> but I tell you what, like, in the night, in the late 90s, when I went there, like, the experiences that I had made me frightened to go there just because of the experiences I had, which yeah. in particular is the boy that plays with the blue ball. Tommy. Or, yeah, Tommy. Tony or Tommy. It's or Tommy. Tommy. I think it's Tommy. I'm pretty sure it's Tommy. It's it's whichever, but it doesn't matter. Like, that's, at the end that's of the, the day. One, that's the one ghost that has been most consistent there out of any other ghost. The most consistent things are the shadows on the roof which I can talk about in a later episode, mm. and the blue ball, which I can talk about in a later episode. But what about the shadow figures, the demi-demons? Well, the shadow figures, that's that's an, a long, in-depth conversation. That, that's like definitely next episode, for sure. So, we're going to get into that. I'm going to do another, we're going to do another record, but we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. And in maybe a... Four to 12 weeks, you might hear Vinny again here on the podcast, because we're going to record another one now. Um, but since we're doing bi-weekly release dates... Are you um, going to tell me you're going to record another one now? Make them feel like it's special. It me. is special, because you're here. It's special. Um, but first, I want to make sure that we plug you a little bit, too. So not only is he a phenomenally intelligent individual, he is also a very talented artist, illustrator, 
and tattoo artist, as well as a very skilled handyman. Do you no want to plug your tattoo work if anybody comes to Louisville? Well, if anybody comes to Louisville, um, uh, Vinny Cogert, and it's Vinny with an I-E, not a Y, and if you look me up, I'm guaranteed you'll find me. And we'll spell the name correctly when we put the tagline. And uh, other than that, it's like I, I do mechanical engineering, and I do like uh, very specific and structural types of tattoos along with like full realism. It's phenomenal. I have mostly pretty much 75% of my body covered in his artwork. It's phenomenal. You cannot go wrong. So if you ever come to Louisville, Kentucky, you now know the name to look up and you now know who can do the best tattoos in the entire state. If not tri-state, if not whole country. Always any messaging that I get Always be willing to wait 48 hours for a response. Now he might be off the grid. <laughs> uh, I do. I, I, go, I go to town. I sometimes take a few days to check on this. Because of the fact that I like to go out of the city. I like to go have these experiences. Yeah. And that's why we have so much amazing content coming from you. And as always, you know how to find us here at Gray Man Media. And this is me. John Wolf Takes a Bite podcast. You can find me on Spotify. Obviously, you're listening to me there, hopefully. As well as you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and you can email me with your own stories at wolftakesabitepod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Facebook at wolftakesabitepod and Instagram at wolftakesabitepod. So make sure you go ahead and follow, favorite, all those sources. Thank you so much, Vinny, for being on the show. I can't even speak because I think I've been quieter in this episode than I ever have in my entire life. Just because you're such an elaborate storyteller, and I love it. And this is why we're going to head to a whole other episode with you very soon. So thank you very much, guys. Make sure you go ahead and check us out, and we'll see you on the next one.